0: Oh, we're listening to the
1: Superpower Up podcast with your superpower experts. This is the place where we explore real life superpowers and give you the tools to unlock your own. Hello, everyone. This is Tonya Don Reckley, your superpower expert. And I am just thrilled to have with us today Gary Renard again. So, luckily, he has agreed to come back on the show and talk about super important topic, which happens to be his latest book. So, with today's show, we're talking about Jesus. Buddha and Gary Renard in his book *The Lifetimes When Jesus and Buddha Knew Each Other: A History of Mighty Companions* is absolutely magical. So I'm very excited to share this with you today, and super, super honored to have him with us. Welcome, Gary.
0: Well, Tony, it's great to be with you again. And uh, yeah, I'm really psyched about talking about the new book because uh, you know it went in directions that I didn't expect, and and it dealt with. Uh, <laughs> you know, some teachings that I didn't really know very much about. And then there was a series of lifetimes that the world doesn't know about where Jesus and Buddha actually knew each other and, uh, you know, helped each other along their spiritual path, which is something that nobody's written about. So, uh, you know, I I just got very excited about it as it went along.
1: Oh, I can imagine. I was excited as as I went along reading it.
0: Yeah, so, uh, you know, it it had all kinds of uh, surprises in it for me. Uh, Not the least of which was that, uh, you know, I always assumed that because of the way that Arden and Persia told their story in my first three books, that I would be uh, coming back for, you know, one more lifetime, or or as Course in Miracles puts it, you know, I would be coming back to mentally review one more lifetime in order to, you know, be enlightened and complete. Uh, all of my lessons and then in this book, they told me, well, you know, actually you've uh, done enough forgiveness work where you would not necessarily be uh, something that you would have to do. Maybe you don't have to come back and uh, review one more lifetime. Maybe this is the last one. So that got me pretty excited because it made me realize that I, you know, it's good to do your forgiveness homework because it pays off and, uh, You know, maybe this is my final time around, which would be fine with me because, you know, I've had enough of the world. It's not that uh, I have anything against it. You know, I enjoy it. And uh, I just did a wonderful cruise to Hawaii and I had a beautiful time and the world can be a happy dream. But I think at some point, and this is a personal decision on everyone's part, but I think at some point, Uh, people decide that it's time to go home. And once again, that's a personal decision. You can't make that decision for somebody else. That's something that they have to do for themselves, which is why I always say that spirituality is a personal thing that involves personal decisions. And the only piece of advice I would give about that is that when you make a decision, do it with the Holy Spirit. You know, don't do it alone because uh, when you're connected to that higher place, you know, the Holy Spirit, then uh, you're, you can be inspired. And of course, uh, the word inspired comes from the words in spirit, just as the word uh, astral, you know, means like above. Well, when you're connected to the astral, when you're connected to above, then you can be guided to the right decision. Uh, if you're not connected, to that higher place. Well, astral means aster. And if you're not connected, then that's where the word disaster comes from. Mm, beautiful. You know, that's what leads to disaster when you're not connected to that higher place. So uh, one of the things that uh, the fourth book leads to is the undoing of the ego. As the Course Miracle says, salvation is undoing, but it actually explains how Jesus and Buddha uh, did that which is really important to me because I always wondered, you know, how did Jesus get to be Jesus? Mm -hmm. You know, how did Buddha get to be Buddha? What were they like in the lifetimes just before that? You know, what things did they study? Who did they study with? Uh, How did they undo their egos to the point where they could come back for that last lifetime and be enlightened and kind of like point other people in the right direction and do the things that they did. And uh, this book actually answers those questions. And uh, I say at the beginning of it, you know, I always wondered about Jesus and Buddha, but I always used to forget to ask Art in person, my teachers, about it. Because when they show up, I get kind of like, you know, taken with them in the sense that uh, I'm amazed that they're there. And uh, for those who have read my books, uh, they know that Art and person actually appear to me as people and carry on pretty normal conversations with me. Of course, they're very spiritually advanced, but uh, they're still normal conversations that people can relate to. And uh, hey,
1: Gary, can I ask you a question about that? Sure. How did you reconcile that as you're, or how do you reconcile that as you're talking with them, knowing that kind of this aspect of they are you, you are them, there's only one in... Um, you know, the verbs of the course uses in the sonship. How, how does that feel to you as you're talking with them as your teachers, but also as you?
0: Well, you know, fortunately uh, for me, even in the first book, they pretty much explained uh, what they are. And what they are is the Holy Spirit. And what the Holy Spirit has to do is take on some kind of a form in order to communicate with us. If it didn't, we'd never be able to hear it. Now, usually, for most of us, most of the time, uh, that form is going to take the form of ideas. You know, ideas that come into your mind. And an idea has a shape to it. It has a form to it. It has words. And the Holy Spirit, as the Course says, is the voice for God and is therefore taking form. Uh, This form is not his reality so what my teachers are saying what the course is saying is that there's a reality behind the form and the reality behind the form is the holy spirit which is spirit which is still perfect oneness with god the only difference with the holy spirit is that the holy spirit takes on a form so that we can hear it in such a way that the holy spirit can lead us home you know lead us home to god and once again if the holy spirit didn't take on that form we'd be stuck here forever because we'd never be able to hear it and uh, we'd just be wandering around in the dark instead of being led home by the Holy Spirit. Now, once I understood that, I realized that, okay, Arden and Corsa, my teachers, are really the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit is taking on a form in order to communicate with me. And once I realized that, uh, I became more comfortable, even though I'm always amazed. <laughs> uh, I started to become more comfortable with what they were. You know, it's mm. like, of course things like, you know, there are those who have reached God directly, retaining no trace of worldly limits and remembering their own identity perfectly. Uh, these may be the teachers of teachers because although they are no longer visible, their image can yet be called upon. So uh, art and persa, As ascended masters are out of here. You know, the real ardent person that, or uh, I I should say, uh, the ardent person that lived a lifetime in Chicago are home with God. And what happens is the Holy Spirit uses their image to communicate with us. So that's why, you know, sometimes the Holy Spirit can show up in different ways for different people.
1: Is it? What about like actual, so what about people then? Like people in your life, do you, is that the same concept or how does that work?
0: Uh, It's exactly the same concept. The only problem is that most of the images we see and most of the bodies that we see, which the course also describes as images, are simply being projected by the wrong part of the mind instead of the right part of the mind. So most of the images we see are being projected by the ego part of the mind and when it comes to certain images like Arden and Tursa, ascended masters, uh, and this could also apply to like angels or uh, the Virgin Mary. Uh, I know that Saint Germain has been appearing to people for decades at Mount Shasta. And uh, those are manifestations of the Holy Spirit. So there is a difference and the difference is whether or not the manifestation is coming from the right part of the mind or the wrong part of the mind. And then what happens is as individuals, or at least we appear to be individuals, even though that's an illusion, because it's really mm-hmm. just one of us appearing as many as the Hindus would put it. Uh, the way it works is the Holy Spirit uh, slowly kind of like retrains our mind to think with the Holy Spirit instead of the ego. And that is how we are transformed into being one, You know, in, which is what we really are, but we're not experiencing that. And uh, the Holy Spirit kind of like is, uh, you know, taking our mind and training it to think with the Holy Spirit instead of the ego and ultimately replacing the ego with the Holy Spirit. Mm. And as that happens with you, then your experience starts to change, you know, slowly, but surely from the experience of being a separate body to the experience of being what you really are and where you really are which is this perfect spirit that is exactly the same as your creator, which is God.
1: So wouldn't that also be true of the figures of Jesus and
0: Buddha? Well, the difference with Jesus and Buddha was that they were no longer experiencing the ego. They were no longer experiencing the false self. So uh, they were no longer experiencing themselves as bodies, even though they appeared to be here their experience uh, had completely changed to the point where the body starts to feel like the figure in a dream that it really is. So the body starts to get lighter and uh, it starts to get less dense and uh, more elastic and more difficult to hurt. And then at the end of your uh, earthly lessons, you get to the point where you cannot be hurt I love the way that, of course, miracles describes forgiveness at one point. It says that it denies the ability of anything not of God to affect you. Mm, you know, I so, love that. Yeah, so you can get to the point where the world can't hurt you. Mm-hmm. you know, where it can't have any effect on you. And Gary,
1: can you repeat that? Forgiveness denies the ability.
0: You're right. It denies the ability of anything not of God to affect you. Thank you. So, uh, you know, you can get to the point where, well, people can't hurt you you know, somebody calls you a bad name or something or, you know, slaps you in the face or, you know, tries to destroy your career or something, then uh, you can get to the point where you can't be hurt by that, where you can't lose your peace and, and your strength. Mm-hmm. And if you can maintain your peace and your strength, regardless of what happens in the world, not because of what happens in the world, but regardless of what happens in the world, then that is real power and that is real spirituality, mm-hmm. and those are- and of, freedom. Yeah, it's some freedom, absolutely. And those are the kinds of lessons that Jesus and Buddha learned in these, uh, I describe six different lifetimes uh, in the book where Jesus and Buddha actually knew each other and helped each other. And uh, it really starts out in, in Japan, you know, around 700 BC, when they were both into uh, Shintoism, and it describes uh, their life there, what they learned. learned. Uh, there was a certain shamanistic uh, quality to it. They would actually learn how to communicate with the animals, and uh, you know they, they were just into uh, Shintoism. And of course, it was a different world. It was a different culture. You know, people were like personal possessions of the emperor. But uh, at the same time, there was enough freedom that they could you know study the power of the mind and, and start to get in touch with the power of the mind. And uh, then in the uh, second lifetime that I described, uh, they're in China about 100 years later, and they're into uh, Taoism, and they actually studied with Lao Tzu, and uh, you know, learned a tremendous amount from him, because Lao Tzu was kind of like a predecessor of Buddha. You know, he had a lot of uh, similar ideas to Buddha, and sometimes their quotations are actually confused with each other, because uh, they're very much alike. It's just that, uh, you know, there's a little bit more Chinese culture with Lao Tzu. And uh, later Buddhism, you know, uh, it never really caught on in uh, India. And the third lifetime that I describe is actually when Jesus and Buddha were Hindus in India. Mm-hmm. And uh, these lifetimes are roughly 100 years apart. Uh, I remember them, I person saying earlier in the books that we tend to incarnate about once every hundred years or so. And uh, in Hinduism, they continued to learn a great deal and uh, got into meditation heavily. And uh, I think that any kind of mind discipline, including meditation, is a good thing because Mm -hmm. it makes you more aware. I know that when I got into uh, meditation a lot, when I was around 40 years old, you know, 40, 41, 42, I got to the point where uh, the way that it's described in the book, that when I meditated, I could achieve absolute stillness. You know, I felt like I could uh, get to the point where there were no interfering thoughts in my mind. And that really helped me uh, a couple of years later when I found A Course in Miracles and started getting into the course and and doing the workbook of the course. I found that because my mind had been uh, disciplined through meditation, that it really helped me uh, to mm-hmm. do the workbook of the course and, and to visualize things and to, uh, you know, really get to the point where I was, you know, relating to the ideas that were in the workbook even after you know I, I put down the book and I wasn't doing the lesson. It made it easier for me to apply the ideas in my everyday life. And what this book, you know, "Lifetimes of Jesus and Buddha" usually. It, was, it started getting me more uh, back in touch with that and realized that I had done, you know, some things right. I mean, you know, we all make mistakes, but uh, <laughs> at least I had done some things right. And uh, then, you know, we get to the fourth lifetime, and this is where uh, Jesus and Buddha, and by the way, they had, they had all different names, of course, in all these lifetimes. They weren't Jesus mm-hmm. and Buddha until they were Jesus and Buddha, but uh, you know, their names, like, and I had a, you know, kind of like a hard time writing this because I wasn't that familiar with some of the teachings that they relate to. And uh, they tell stories about their lifetimes and what they were like and some of the experiences that they had. And I wasn't used to that kind of writing. I I was used to just kind of like straight, you know, kind of uh, narrative type, you know, transcript or something. And there was a lot more descriptive writing in this book. So that was a new experience for me. And uh, in the first lifetime we talked to in Japan, uh, their names were Saka and Hiroji. And they were, you know, just friends. And, uh, you know, they were friends, but they were in love with the same woman. So that did make things too easy. That was a good forgiveness opportunity. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, in the second lifetime, when they're into Taoism in, in China, their names were uh, Li and Osan. And uh, in that lifetime, they were romantic partners. You know, they ended up, you know, being, uh, you know, two people who were uh, very much in love with each other. And uh, in the lifetime in India, when they were Hindus, uh, their names were Harish and uh, Padmash. And you know, I, I have a hard time remembering these names because I'm, yeah, I'm sure, I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not really good at foreign languages. I mean, I have no aptitude whatsoever for foreign languages. <laughs> You're so uh, funny. And in in Greece, well, this is the fourth lifetime. And in that lifetime, they actually were at Plato's Academy at one point and uh, knew Plato and realized that a lot of what he was saying was valid, but that there was something missing. They they were getting to the point where they realized that there was something missing. Mm -hmm. And this is where the subject of non-duality comes up. In the book. Uh, Art and interested by explaining these lifetimes, really make a distinction between uh, duality and non-duality. And then what you begin to see is that all of these disciplines, you know, that they're studying, whether it's Shintoism or Taoism or Hinduism or, you know, Plato's Academy, uh, there's a common thread that is uh, coming from all of these great teachers. And what they were all saying And, you know, this can be verified if anybody really wants to look into it. But what they were all saying was that you have two things, and only one of them is real. You have reality, which is oneness. And then you have anything else. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And anything else that is not perfect oneness is not true. It's not real. So, you know, that's an important uh, thing that comes up in the next couple of lifetimes, and especially when uh, you have the lifetime of uh, Buddha, whose name was Siddhartha. You know, a lot of people, they use the name Gautama Mm -hmm. when referring to Buddha. But my teachers never used that name. And by doing so, I think that they were saying, was like, you know, if you were saying his name in English, Siddhartha would probably be the closest. And uh, then at the same time, there was uh, this guy named Rahula, and uh, it's not revealed at first, but as the chapter goes on, and I don't think I'm giving away too much because uh, it's fairly well known, even though not accepted by some Buddhists, that Buddha had a son. And uh, it turns out in that lifetime that uh, Buddha's son was the one who would be Jesus. Mm-hmm. Next lifetime. And I, so they had all these you know, different kinds of relationships. They were fellow students. They were friends, they were lovers uh, in the Hindu lifetime. They were cousins. And uh, it so happens that in this lifetime, uh, Jesus turns out to be uh, Buddha's son, Rahula. And the forgiveness lessons that they both had to go through in that lifetime are pretty well described. And by the end of that lifetime, they are both at the point where they are enlightened for all intents and purposes. Uh, but there was one step mm-hmm. that still had to be taken, even though Buddha knew everything he had to know to be enlightened, and so did Rahula, who would be Jesus next time around. And I thought it was kind of cool, by the way, towards the end of that chapter, because you know Buddha says to his son, "Hey, next time you'd be the teacher."
1: I love that. <laughs> I love that part.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's like, okay, so. At this point, they have both uh, learned so much and undone the ego so much that they're up to the point where they're enlightened. But at the end of that lifetime, they are both acknowledging that there was something missing. Mm-hmm. And one, one of them says to the other, and I think you know what it is. And so in uh, the final lifetime, and by the way, it was revealed. And you know, I got a kick out of this because if you look back to my first book, Art and Person said, that Buddha came back for one more lifetime mm-hmm. he was Buddha, which most people don't know about. And uh, they didn't describe it; they just said that Buddha came back one more time, and, and that he was someone that most people wouldn't know about. So, when you get to the uh, final times of Jain and Buddha, and uh, you know, this is when you know during Jerusalem, you know, start off Jesus starts off in uh, Nazareth. Uh, He wasn't born in Bethlehem. He was born in Nazareth and uh, spent a lot of time in Jerusalem and the surrounding area. Uh, One of his disciples who uh, we would know as Philip, and it's interesting because there's a gospel of Philip uh, from the Nakamadi Library, but uh, his name was Nadav and he was a disciple of uh, Jesus and and of course Jesus' name was Yeshua. It wasn't Jesus, but We'll call him Jesus for the purposes of this discussion. And, uh, you know, Philip was kind of like the ultimate follower because he was uh, Jesus equal. You know, so they were like the same. They just let Jesus do the speaking. Mm -hmm. And they describe a lot of what it was like. Like, uh, you know, uh, most people know that the Apostle Paul spoke at the Parthenon in Greece about, you know, 20, 30 years after time of jesus what they don't know is that jesus spoke there too and uh this is when he was on the way home from his travels and he traveled for a long time and uh got back to uh nazareth at first when he was around uh you know 30 and they described that time when he got up in the temple and he said today the scriptures are fulfilled <laughs> and uh but people are looking at him like you know that's blasphemy you know i mean the scripture wouldn't be fulfilled unless the Messiah was here. Mm -hmm. So is he saying he's the Messiah? And he was lucky to get out of there a (laughs) lot. You know, because they, you know, just uh, thought of him as being, you know, the kid that grew up there and uh, being uh, the carpenter's son. And actually, uh, his father, Joseph was actually a a stonemason, but everyone thinks of him as being a carpenter. And uh, this is when Jesus said, uh, a prophet is with, not not without honor except in his own home and with his own family <laughs>
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, so i you know some people say you know you can't be a prophet in your own town and you know I, I make a joke out of it I say you can't make a prophet in your own town but it's like uh, <laughs> you know was saying uh, you know I, I got to get out of here and speak someplace else and you'd, yeah you'd go all over the countryside and uh, ended up in Jerusalem, but they explained that, you know, uh, they didn't have microphones back in those days and uh, Once in a while, they'd be a really big crowd And so the way they did it was kind of like a relay. They would have uh, Jesus say something and you know use the speaker, but then oh You know about 50 yards back uh, Somebody else would repeat what he just said so that the people could hear it and then another 50 yards back uh, somebody else would repeat you know, what was just said. And that was their way of allowing everybody to hear what was being said, because there's no way that they would be able to hear a couple hundred yards mm-hmm. back without a microphone what this guy was saying. Well,
1: I love that explanation, because otherwise your mind kind of gets wrapped around, how is this possible? Um, Gary, I want to take a quick break, but you mentioned the word blasphemy, and I want to I want to revisit that um, because obviously, and I'm sure you know this, and are probably have these thoughts as as, as this was as you were having these conversations. This is not information that um, a lot of people are going to enjoy or um, accept readily. Because I mean, you're suggesting that Jesus and Buddha—not suggesting, you're flat out stating that Jesus and Buddha had these various lifetimes together, and that it wasn't quite what has been depicted in the Bible. So when we come back from the break, I, I Really want to dive into that aspect of it with you. Um, in, in addition to a couple other pieces. So, stay tuned. We'll be right back. We're talking with Gary Renard about Jesus and Buddha. We'll be right back. your personal power and unlock your superpowers. If you're ready to use your superpowers to change the world, then join the superpower net today. Visit superpowerexperts.com slash the net to learn more. Awesome. We're back. You've been listening to the superpower podcast. We're talking about Jesus Buddha and Gary Renard. So Gary, one of the things you touched on before the break was you know, you, you kind of haphazardly mentioned the word blasphemy, but as as you're talking and, and as I was reading the book, ag- again, there's this like explanation of things. I think I think it fills in a lot of gaps that some of us just naturally had, you know, when, when you talk about the Buddha story, the Jesus story, you know, the whole thing, the Bible. And and it, for me, at least, it just felt like, oh, well, that makes sense. Because there's been a lot of questioning about the lost years of Jesus and, how could all these similarities be happening so so did jesus go and study during that life lifetime and all these things and and as as odd as it may sound yours happens to be the most plausible explanation of how in the world all of this information got accumulated in a single lifetime um but i mean you're talking about going against what you know a lot, a lot of you know very religious or, or dedicated Christians believe about the life of Jesus. Was that a challenge for
0: you in doing this? Oh, not too bad. I'll tell you why, because I don't really expect uh, you know fundamentalist uh, Christians to embrace this book. <laughs> because, <laughs> you know,
1: well, that's easy.
0: <laughs> you know, it's, it's, uh, it's not something that they're going to welcome. But at the same time, I think that there are a lot of people in, in what we would call the new age community or uh, you know, people who are spiritual but not religious. I think that there's uh, a lot for them in this book and it does tie a lot of things together and make mm-hmm. a lot of things make sense. And uh, ultimately, it even goes uh, right up to what A Course in Miracles is saying because you know, even though uh, you know, chapter six in the book is describing that sixth lifetime, where Jesus and Buddha knew each other. It makes a distinction between non-dualism, which they had been learning up till then, which is teaching, okay, you got a constant reality that doesn't change, that is real, and you have the illusion, which is always changing, which is not real. And it kind of like takes that uh, common thread and goes all the way with it, the way that A Course in Miracles does, because now they're making a distinction in their final lifetime between the illusion which is uh, described in the Course also as a dream, and which is also described by them in this book as a dream. And they're making a distinction not just between that and reality, but they're defining reality as God. And that's what was missing. That's what they said that something was missing at the end of that fifth lifetime that they spent together. And that's why A Course in Miracles says that a sense of separation from God is the only lack that you really need correct. And they did that in that final lifetime. Now to them in that final lifetime, God was the only reality and God was perfect oneness. And you have to acknowledge God as being your creator and that you're making a decision to go home to God. And there's you know, parts of the Bible that uh, Art and Persis certainly agree with. And so does The Course in Miracles. You know, it says things like, listen to the story of the prodigal son. You know, so obviously uh, Jesus, who is the voice of the Course in Miracles, is saying, look, that that was real. That's something I really uh, said. And you should listen to that because uh, you can make a decision to go home uh, to God. And it's a good decision. Uh, Coming here is not a good decision, even though we'd like to think there's a lot of beauty in this world. The problem with that beauty is that this is a world of duality. And when you have duality, you have both good and bad. So you have a body that's going to work for a while. But then eventually at some point, it's going to break down and it's going to decay and it's going to die. And everybody who you know is going to die because that's what happens here. <laughs> and that's why, you know, this is not the happy world. And it's my no. friend, uh, Ken Wapman who I, I dedicated the book to him. Mm-hmm. He said, this is not the happy world, and nobody in their right mind would come here. You know, so it's like, uh, you know, nothing here is going to last. It's all temporary. And I'm not saying that uh, to bum people out, because the Course Miracles is very clear. And my teachers are very clear in this book that it's possible to live what the Course calls the happy dream. But it is a dream. You know, at that point, you're experiencing it as a dream. Now, you're not going to wake up from the dream until you realize that you're dreaming. Mm-hmm. You know, and if you don't remember that you're dreaming, then you're going to make the world real, and you're going to be at the effect of it. But if you remember that you're dreaming, then you're not making the world real, and you can be not at the effect of it. So uh, that distinction is very important, way more important than people realize at first. The, the difference between knowing it's a dream and not knowing that it's a dream, (laughs) and one leads to making it real, which uh, means that it can hurt you. But uh, if you're not making it real, then you can get to the point where it can't hurt you. And what uh, Jesus and Buddha, you know, or or Yeshua and Nadab, you know, whichever names you want to call them by, uh, they came to that, not only the realization, but the experience of it in that final lifetime. and. by the time jesus was you know nailed to the cross which also really happened he could not feel uh, any physical pain because the way of course miracles puts it the guiltless mind cannot suffer and if you've learned all of your lessons and done all of your forgiveness work then by definition there would be no unconscious guilt left in the mind And that only happens when you've completed all of your lessons. And that guilt is unconscious, which is why people are not aware of it. They're, you know, they're aware of some guilt, you know, and everyone talks about the fear of God. So that that guilt and fear is something that people are somewhat aware of, but they're not aware of the extent of it. They're not aware Mm -hmm. of all this unconscious stuff that's there buried in the mind that they can't heal on their own, but they can heal it with the Holy Spirit. Because if you heal by forgiving the images that you're seeing. That allows the Holy Spirit to heal the corresponding unconscious guilt that is in the mind. So every time you forgive, the Holy Spirit is performing some kind of a healing. Now, people will think of Jesus as being the ultimate leader. But that's a religious idea. Uh, Jesus was not the ultimate leader, he was the ultimate follower. In fact, he says in A Course in Miracles, eventually, I just listened to one voice. <laughs> you know, so he just listened to the Holy mm-hmm. Spirit. And that's also uh, what Philip or Nadav uh, came to do. You know, he yeah, just listened to uh, the Holy Spirit.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I, I People ask me, you know, a lot of times, you know, how, you know, wh- whatever, the information or how I do the what I do. And I said, you know, it's, my secret is that I'm in a constant state of prayer, and so when I read that, you know the the concept of Jesus being the ultimate follower, it was so affirming because it was like that's in my that's how it feels. It's like it's not a powerless like it's it's both very very powerful, but also very very humbling. It's just like it just is. And I, and I was laughing because a couple months ago, I remember uh, Just and I were it may even longer now, but Justin and I were sitting there talking um, and he made the comment he I mean he was just in this like really like loving connected space he's like I am so happy to be here with you and I was like like I had this appalled look on my face and he's (laughs) like what and I was like I'm not happy to be here like what are you talking about and I was like oh crap you know because then I'm thinking as a wife I'm like okay stop 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 back up a second I was like if I have to be here then I'm super grateful that it's with you but to be honest with you, I don't know that I really want to be here. <laughs> like, it's not, you know, not that I'm, I'm going to take myself out of the equation, but it's, you know, that awareness that, you know, like you said, it's beautiful and it can be great, but, but it's not real. And it's like, you know, that draw to home, if you will, it's like once you start connecting with that, it's like you do start to see the decay and the, 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 um, the fact that as soon as something gets created it starts the process of dying and it's like it's not you know it's like it's like it's like when you see, see underneath the surface you're like wait what is all of this like what are we looking at so you know here's my husband trying to share this really tender beautiful moment with me and i'm like no like, can't we just leave like can we go home uh, it was so anyway there, there are some occupational hazards with all of this i think
0: uh yeah absolutely (laughs) it's like um that kind of brings up one more distinction in that final lifetime with jesus and buddha uh yes they had already been used to the idea that you've got a, a changeless reality and then you've got this constantly temporary changing world and that only the constant reality is true the extra distinction that they made in that final lifetime was not just the difference between dualism and non-dualism. They defined it in the final lifetime as pure non-dualism, because Mm -hmm. now, instead of just talking about this kind of like abstract, uh, you know, changeless reality, they were defining God as the only reality. And, uh, you know, I think that's very important because, you know, it's like uh, the Course says, you have to acknowledge your creator. There's a great line in the Course. It says, Be humble before God, but be great in Him. You know, and uh, you find your greatness by joining with this perfect oneness that is God. And it's actually possible to experience that while you're here. And, uh, you know, Philip and Jesus were definitely experiencing that in that final lifetime. They but it,
1: but what's so cool about it, and I think you did such a beautiful job, you and your teachers of depicting this, is that it only happens when you don't need it to. And so the, the challenge is in um, moving into this, you know, so many people want to find themselves and define themselves and find their message and do all these things. And the irony is, is that that never truly comes, not in a whole and complete way, until you no longer need it, to define you. And I think that's why, you know, that distinction that you just spoke about between non-dualism and complete or whole or true or perfect non-dualism is, is that concept of as long as you think that it says something about you, like you're still defining yourself as this personality or something here, then it's, it's still dualistic because it's you as this separate entity. And, um, and, and the other thing that came through in this book, um, No you know, it, it was in it was in all of your other books, but but this one above all else was that absolute, unapologetic, non wavering, uncompromising, just no. And um and it was so fascinating because something that, you know, one of the things that I teach is like you have to be willing to stare something in the face and deny its existence. And it, it's just no. And I, you know, I remember the, the end of the matrix, you know, the very first one where Neo's like, no. And all the bullets like, stop, you know, and it's just like, just no enough already. And when you get to that place, it's like, wow, but it all just kind of starts to unravel. And, and it was, but your conviction in it, in this book was, was just so um, compelling. And, um, you know, I really want to honor you for, for doing this very public journey through that entire process. Like we talked about, you know, over a decade of you just being out there and, and, and for the world to see, for all of us to see this process of getting to the point of such conviction to where you're going, wait a second. Like I, I get to choose in this moment if I want to continue to feed into this illusion or if I want to be done with it. And it is such a powerful thing to have observed, you know, as, as you went through that. And I really honor you for being willing to go through that.
0: Well, uh, it's been a trip. That's for sure. I'm sure. And, uh, yeah, my ever since, uh, 2003, it's been, uh, you know, kind of like an experience of duality because, uh, well, it's kind of like uh, this friend of mine told me. He said, look, Gary, you've got two kinds of people. You've got your people and not your people. <laughs> and uh, It's kind of like the, the
1: hometown concept again, right?
0: Yeah. So it's like, uh, I know that, you know, this, this book isn't for everybody, but it is for a lot of people. And, you know, it's not going to be embraced by, uh, you know, the right wing Christians, but but that's okay. It's not for them. Uh, you know, it's like everybody is on a path that they're supposed to be on. And we're all going to end up at the same place. You know, and uh, I think the the big distinction in this book is that, you know, God is the only reality. And, and if that is your reality, then it's possible to experience it. And uh, in order to do that, you have to undo the ego. And that concept is so important, the idea of undoing. Uh, instead of doing, you know, Mm -hmm. forgiveness undoes, and uh, it stops making it real, and it uh, slowly but surely transforms you from the experience of being a body, to the experience of being what you really are, and where you really are, which is this perfect oneness, which is uh, a very amazing, very orgasmic uh, kind of an experience, uh, something that uh, blows away anything that this world has to offer. And I think the part of the problem with this, this idea of people you know, relinquishing their own personal identity, which you have to do, uh, which is the way that you were describing it, you, know, you, you can't identify with yourself and experience yourself. Mm-hmm. You, know, you have to choose. And uh, that idea of relinquishing a personal identity can be scary uh, until the ego is undone. But once the ego is undone, then you realize that you're replacing it with something better. Mm. And I think that if people knew what a great experience it was, they wouldn't be so hesitant.
1: Yeah. Well, I, but it, and it seems like this giant. Like I describe it's like this giant chasm. Like you feel like you have to like jump off the edge of the world, and then as soon as you get on the other side, it's like, oh, that was like a little crack. And, you know, it was like it wasn't. It was never because you're there. You're there already. And it's like when I really tapped into that space, it was you know, I would look at people. I'm like, I don't, I just don't get it. Like you're there. Like you're already there. There's no, pro- the process is the, obviously the undoing, but there's no process of becoming like, it just, you already are there. You're already that and, and the unraveling. And I, I don't know about you and Cindy, you know, but Justin, and I kind of have these real abstract conversations sometimes about, wait, but if, if there's only one of us, like, how are there two of us? And, and it was so like, it was so cool to have that the dialogue in the book about the relationship between Mary and Jesus in that, in that final lifetime, because, um, you know, and, and I really, again, it, it felt like it filled in some gaps because there is something to the experience of have you know, having the experience of yourself in this really intimate way at that first appears to be this other body. Um, you know, And even as you're talking, I'm having this experience of, well, if people are the reflection of where we sit within our own kind of forgiveness and the unraveling, then over time, what ends up happening is, is that you start to see reflected to you others who are having similar experiences and others who are, quote unquote, waking up and others who are, are unraveling their egos. And it's the, the the that concept of denial and projection, and when the denial and no longer is necessary within you because you're removing all of those layers of guilt, then it's then the reflection starts to shift. And you you know before I used to say you know you start attracting to you people who are in a, the same frequency, if you will, or you know because superpowers we like to talk about vibrations and frequencies and everything else, but it's but that but that's just a, a construct. It's just an overlay to describe the process. Um, but it's trippy, you know, like, like, and and I think that, you know, when we kind of get pulled back into, you know, this, this version of reality that it's like, it's like, wait a second. Like I'm talking to somebody who appears to be standing there, but really they're me and I'm them. And there's just one, but that person is saying words that appear as though they're having a conscious experience of something else. Like it gets kind of, Tricky,
0: yeah, (laughs) yeah, it does, and uh, you know, I think ultimately having the experience of what you really are, uh, it's always going to come back to the you know subject of forgiveness. And uh, you know, Jesus was, of course, the ultimate forgiver, Uh, he could forgive people even when they were destroying his body. Mm -hmm. You know, there are plenty of Christians nowadays who can't forgive people who have done nothing to them. (laughs) You know, I, I think that's why Nietzsche said, uh, you know, there's only one Christian and he died on the cross. Yeah. But, uh, it's, it's, you know, uh, kind of ironic that, uh, you know, Jesus, obviously, even in the New Testament, I think any open-minded person who reads you know, the New Testament with an open mind can see that Jesus was into forgiveness and that he was not into judgment. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, they did take some words from the Old Testament and put them in his mouth to make it appear that he was into judgment. But that's the false part Mm -hmm. of the bible and you can always tell you know for yourself you you can tell if after a while you become your own minister and you can tell what's coming from the holy spirit and what is it you can tell what's coming from the ego well Well, let's
1: talk about that how can you tell i describe it as like this expansive kind of connectedness um or you feel it in your body how how do you how do you tell like like how does that work for you
0: well i think maybe the answer to that is too simple for most people (laughs) i think that uh You know, because there are things that uh, are, you know, kind of like coming from a place of love and forgiveness and hope and encouragement. So, uh, you know, when, you know, even in the Old Testament, you know, that uh, beautiful, you know, Psalm of David that people have read at their funerals, even though it's ironic that they have it read at their funerals, because it's not about death. It's about a fearless way of living. And that's, of course, uh, you know, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil, for Mm. thou art with me. And, of course, it's uh, talking about God or the Holy Spirit, whichever way you want to look at it. And uh, it's about a fearless way of living. And that, to me, is clearly the Holy Spirit uh, speaking. But then you can go to another place in the Old Testament, and it says that all wizards, adulterers, mediums, and homosexuals should be put to death. Well, the odds are that's not the holy spirit.
1: <laughs> the odds yeah, are.
0: <laughs> yeah, so I think that you got to go by uh the quality <laughs> of the message, you go by the quality of the idea that is being uh, presented.
1: Gary, I just <laughs> you crack me up. So, I mean, here you are like you're sharing this information about Jesus and Buddha in these lifetimes and and uh, you know, unraveling the ego and all these other things. But you're right in the sense that it really is very simple. I had a client one day. You know, I was, I was reflecting something to her, and she goes, "Ah, it's just so simple." Every time you point it out, and I was like, "Yes, yeah, simple, but not normal." You know, like like you have to really accept that there everything else. You know, as you're going through this process, it's trying to tell you something different, and that and you touch on that you know, so eloquently in the book where you say your ego is trying to kill you, you know? And, and so it's like, you're, it's not, yes, it may be the most simple thing and, and, and you're so understated and well, you know, it's pretty easy to tell, but, but, you know, for most of us, for, you know, we've, we have decades and lifetimes of seeing something else. And so at the beginning or, you know, at least, at least until you get to a certain point of the journey, it, it is challenging, I think, to see through all of that, um, you know, and, and so I, I love the fact that, that you're very simplistic and, and at the same time, you know, I think your books do a great job of really illustrating that there's a process. I mean, you, you got into it in this book, and I and I'll be honest, it kind of threw me off at first. You you got to talking about politics, and I'm like, where's he going with this? Like I we we just had these illustrious, like amazing dialogues around, oh my gosh, all this stuff, and then you're like, BAM, you know, and, and that's you know, it was like this this conversation about stuff happening here. And, and an aspect of me, I didn't want to hear it, but what, but as I, you know, practice forgiveness, you know, and I sat and it, it, what was so beautiful about it was the juxtaposition. And that's, that's what we go through, right. Is that that it's easy to, to talk about forgiveness in certain categories, but then can you do it in all categories? Can you look at everything through that lens? And, um, you know you know and, and yeah, you, you almost lost me there for a second then I was like oh okay all right I, like Tonya like <laughs> let's practice what what you believe in here and um, you what was your experience with that to, to kind of have in the middle of this book um you know to really I mean anyway you're so you're so beautiful to, to be very forthcoming with all of us like I said so publicly and say like this is an area that and, and your teachers don't let you off the hook you know, they're like awesome. And practice your forgiveness. What what is that? I mean, are you just kind of over it at this point because you've done it so much? But what it, or what is that experience like for you?
0: Well, uh, you're right. Uh, my teachers, you know, ardent person. They're like relentless, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> they are. And you know, I think the important point that they're making there is that you can't forgive and make it real at the same time. Uh, you know, you got to not make it real in order to forgive. You know, it's like, uh, you know, every now and then, you know, I'll get uh, an email from someone in the so-called Course in Miracles community, uh, and they're into course politics. Mm-hmm. You know, so they're into all kinds of controversies, and they're making it real. And what they'll do with me is they'll tell me everything that's wrong with me. <laughs> you know, they'll listen mm-hmm. <laughs> that they don't like about me. And then at the end of the email, they will invariably say, oh, but I forgive you, <laughs> right? <laughs> <And> then, <laughs> You're
1: like, thanks, here's your knife back.
0: <laughs> and what they don't realize is that, of course, America says, no, you have made it real. And so you cannot forgive it. Mm-hmm. And they don't realize that. They, they don't realize that they're making it real. And if they... Uh, knew that they were making it real, then maybe it would make it easier for them to forgive. And it's always gonna come back to forgiveness and forgiveness does not make it real. And so uh, relating it to politics, it's like, you know, if, if that politician comes on the TV screen, who I can't stand. And most people have somebody who they can't stand. And uh, you know, if that person comes on the TV screen, who I can't stand, then I can do one of two things. I can make it real in which case it will affect me and will probably upset me a little bit. And it, and anything that's upsetting you is not peace. you know. So uh, I can make it real or I cannot make it real. And if I can remember the truth, if I can remember you know, none of this is true and the only thing that's going to affect me is God, then I can let it go. And a lot of forgiveness is letting go of realizing, look, uh, you know, a hundred years from now, is anybody really going to give a damn about this? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, all these important problems that we think that we have, you know, is anybody really going to, uh, you know, care? Do we really care that much about the problems that the people had, you know, in the 1600s? I mean, you know, it's like, uh, it's hard for us to relate to it. And the only reason we relate to this now is because we're making it real and that's where we have to stop ourselves as soon as we notice that we're making it real mm-hmm. that's when we have to remember the truth and I know that the instant that I remember the truth, I feel better
1: mm-hmm.
0: and I feel lighter and uh, I'm not at the effect of it. And uh, you know at one point uh, Ar person mentioned in the book, you know you have to be able to forgive anything uh, even if you know some crazy person wins an election you have to be willing <laughs> to not make it real. So, Let's um, just
1: get that one in there.
0: <laughs> so, I mean, you know, it doesn't really matter if you're a, uh, a Democrat or Republican because uh, you do have to do the forgiveness either way. And, yeah. uh, you know, some people would say that the other candidate was the crazy person Yeah, so, because that's their perception, but it's only perception. Uh, mm-hmm. And perception either makes it real or not. So, uh, that politician can be your savior if you use the situation for forgiveness.
1: Right. I call it, I call it the post-test. And it's like, you know, once we kind of get clarity around a, a topic, then it's like we, we're always given an opportunity then to practice it. And so, so let's take that example. If you get the email and somebody's pointing out all these things that are wrong with you, and, and you, you, get the, you get to forgive them. But a big part of that process, that the course points out, is that you're not forgiving them for doing something to you. You're forgiving them knowing that it didn't really happen. So do you have a, do you have a way that you deal with that? Like, like seeing the email and, and your mind or your ego wants to make it out to say, okay, this person is doing this thing to me. How do you reconcile the concept that they're not real? in the illusion, like how does that like, cause cause you can see for them like, okay, they're doing this, but ultimately that's your projection. And then you practice the forgiveness. Do you, then it's like they don't exist. Like how, how do you have a way of reconciling that in your, in your mind or you just let that go?
0: Well, you know, events in a dream may appear to happen, but they're not real and they're not happening. And uh, you know, one of my favorite lines from the course in order to deal with that, says you know every response to the ego is a call to war, and mm-hmm. war does deprive you of peace. Yet in this war, there is no opponent. You know, so you're literally responding in your mind to something that isn't there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, uh, the ego thought system is a delusional system. And uh it wants to get us to respond to something that isn't there, and it, if we respond to it, we 're making it real, and as long as we 're making it real, then the ego is winning so that would be coming from the wrong minded place if you're making real and if you have to respond which which i usually don't i don't usually respond uh, to anything uh negative that's written to me and uh, well and
1: let 's be clear you 're not talking like you you Well, maybe you are. Are you talking like you actually send a reply or respond like internally respond?
0: Uh, Either. Uh, But if you're responding internally, you're more likely to send a reply. (laughs) uh, (laughs) Now, there's the other side of the coin, which is the Holy Spirit's uh, side of the coin. And this is where, you know, so many course students uh, make mistakes because... Uh, and I've been amazed, frankly, at how judgmental <laughs> a Course in Miracles students can be.
1: Yeah, that came out in the book. I, was, I, I figured you'd had some of those experiences.
0: So uh, one of the quotes that they used, uh, it's from the section of the course called the uh, Correction of Error, and Arden and Percy used this, and it really helped me because, uh, and this is for all course students, and it says that the alertness of the ego to the errors of other egos is not the kind of vigilance the holy spirit would have you maintain. Okay. You know, so you know, if you're being alert to other people's errors and you know, really wanting to point them out, then uh, the course is teaching that you must be seeing through your own ego because what the holy spirit does is the opposite. What the holy spirit does is overlook the error, not make it real but overlook it and then ultimately overlook the body and think of that person as being what they really are and where they really are, which is this perfect spirit, which is exactly the same as God. Well, you can't do both those things. You know, you can't uh, make it real and be alert and then point out the error and make it real and, and correct people when that's not even your job. That's you know, just the Holy Spirit's job in their mind to correct error by uh, not making it real and switching to God. And you can't do both. It's like you have to choose. We're being asked to make a conscious choice. And that's why you know, A Course in Miracles is really uh, more proactive than people realize, because we're being asked to make a conscious decision, a constant choice between the Holy Spirit and the ego.
1: Right, it's not, a, it's not a philosophy, it's, it's a discipline.
0: Yes, it is. It's very much a discipline. Uh, it says, you know, some people don't like this idea, but the Course says very specifically, this is, of course, in mind training. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, at first people hear that and they say, oh, well, that sounds like brainwashing or something. And what they don't realize is that they've already been brainwashed. <laughs> yeah. You know, they've, they've already been brainwashed by the ego. And what the Course is doing is, is replacing that with the Holy Spirit. And, uh, you know, the course doesn't leave you hanging like there are uh, disciplines that will have you going through your whole life. uh, You know, Oh, it's just an illusion. The world is just an illusion. Well, that's not good enough, you know, because if you uh, keep saying that, then you're going to think that you're an illusion and that is going to leave you feeling empty and meaningless. That's why you have to replace it with something. You know, it's like the Course says, as you see him, you will see yourself. Well, if you're Mm -hmm. thinking of people as just being illusions, you're going to experience yourself as being an illusion. But Mm -hmm. if you think of them as being this perfect spirit that is exactly the same as God, then that is how you will come to experience yourself. Mm
1: -hmm. And
0: uh, that's how Jesus and Philip got in touch with their divinity. That's how Mary Magdalene got in touch uh, with her divinity. And by the way, Mary Magdalene was also enlightened, which is... uh, you know, something that not everybody knows. And uh, another interesting piece of information, and this is, you know, uh, just purely for fun, but uh, I mentioned that early lifetime in Japan when uh, Jesus and Buddha were Shintos and they were both in love with the same woman. Well, that woman in, in that lifetime was also Mary Magdalene in the, in the last lifetime. Mm, and I love I, it. I never knew that and that was uh, just, you know, a fun piece of uh, information. And there's uh, a lot of fun in the book and there's a lot of seriousness because it really is, uh, you know, a a thing that even though you you need uh, some kind of a serious discipline to undo the ego, in the end, it leads to laughter. You know, Mm -hmm. instead of heartache, it leads to laughter. At one point, the Course says, that judgment is the cause of all of the sorrows of the world. And uh, what the Course does is it leads to the opposite. It it leads to uh, happiness, a happy dream. It talks about being a happy learner. Uh, One of the 10 characteristics of the teacher of God is joy. You know, this is a happy form of spirituality. This is not your suffering sacrificial uh, Jesus. You know, like you look at uh, the New Testament, they actually have Jesus saying, you know, Father, Father, why hast thou forsaken me? Mm-hmm. Well, Jesus would never say that. You know, he would never say anything like that. Uh, he he would never question uh, God's loyalty. Mm-hmm. And uh, then you, you look back in the uh, the old scripture, which we uh, presumptuously call the Old Testament, and uh, there's this part where uh, you notice, and it's right after that Psalm of David that I was uh, talking about earlier. Uh, there are the words, Father, Father, why have thou forsaken me? So what they did was they took these words from the Old Testament, and they put them in Jesus' mouth. And they were trying to uh, kind of like build a bridge between uh, Judaism and Christianity, hoping to convert all these uh, you know, people of the Jewish religion uh, over to Christianity. And uh, they, they actually had the nerve to take things from the old scripture and put those words in Jesus' mouth in uh, the New Testament and some of the other mainstream uh, gospels that you find in the Bible, when Jesus would never say anything like that. But he certainly would say, forgive them, Father. They know not what they do. So that's also why I was saying earlier that you can uh, you know, pretty much tell for yourself eventually whether a message is coming from the ego or from the Holy Spirit. And that's what you listen to. And that leads to right-mindedness. And it becomes a habit. You know, it becomes a habit of thinking with the Holy Spirit instead of the ego. You want to get so much into the habit of forgiveness that you would miss it when you don't do it, that mm-hmm. you would miss it when you're not thinking with the Holy Spirit. Yeah, it feels and, icky. Yeah. And when uh, you get to that point where it becomes so much of a habit, then you know that it's become a part of you and that the Holy Spirit is taking over, you know, slowly but surely in a very positive way. Uh, the Holy Spirit is taking control of the mind instead of the ego. And at one point, the Course talks about the ego's withering attacks, how it appears to become weaker and how it doesn't affect you as much as you used to. Now, there are things that uh, used to bother you that don't bother you anymore. And uh, by the way, you will really know if you've forgiven something, if it doesn't affect you anymore. Mm-hmm. Like let's say uh, somebody was very unkind to you or did something that, you know, stabbed you in the back uh, a long time ago. And whenever you remembered it, and the ego loves bad memories. <laughs> and that's, that's a great way of, of, you know, keeping you away from happiness and forgiveness. you. And, uh, you know, so you have this memory that used to bother you. And then, I'm not going to say that you'll never think of it again. You know, that's another misconception. The course, students have to think, well, if I think about it, then I haven't forgiven it. No, that's not true because the ego is still going to keep trying to throw you curveballs. you know, so you remember it, but it doesn't affect you. And when it doesn't bother you anymore, that's when you'll know that you've truly forgiven it.
1: Right. And it's all, and that's that post-test I was talking about. It's like, it has to come back because if it doesn't, it just, you know, it stays hidden and you think you're over it, but then, and that's where I, I see a lot of people in, in the spiritual growth journey get really frustrated with themselves. They're like, I've already worked through this. I was like, okay, awesome. And here's another opportunity. And here's another opportunity. And, and, and getting to that place where it's like, obviously you didn't because, I mean, you may have worked through it at some level, but, but as long as it's robbing you of any sort of peace, it, there's, there's something still there for you. And, and I see the flip side, which is moving into that self chastisement of, you know, oh, I'm never, you know, well, I did it wrong and all these other things. And it's like, well, that's not helpful either. Um, but I like what you're saying about how it, it, it's tricky, you know, and, and I've shared this story on the podcast before, where, you know, I, as I dismantled fear and aspects of the ego, you know, it, there, there's not a whole lot that throws me into a tailspin anymore. And, and I was I was in a kind of half dream or half sleep, half awake, um, or being aware of a half awake kind of state. And all of a sudden I had this vision of Justin walking outside and being murdered. And immediately my heart like constricted. And I was like, Oh my God, you know, and I felt it. And then I was like, wait a second. And I stopped and I was like, that's not a fear that I hold. Like, what are you doing? Like, I'm like this and I'm laughing. And I, and, and I could literally hear my ego kind of go, Oh man, you know, it's like, it was, throwing anything it could at me to try to get me in that grip of fear. I'm like, I, I I don't fear my husband dying. Like that's just not a thing for me, but it it almost had me. And it was like, <laughs> and in that moment, was like, I stopped. I was like, wait a moment. This is not a true thing, you know, but it was so real. You know, it had that feeling that, that real, like, like I felt it in my body. I felt the emotion of it. I felt all of it. I could see it, taste it, touch it, all of it. And it was like, no like and so it's, it's that des- the desperate attempt to try to pull you in it and it almost it's almost like it gets more and more desperate the 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 more work you do in this area because it's like it's just not enough for it to grip anymore you know and what used to work doesn't work anymore yeah and so it's like it's, it's 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 almost like and then you start to see it almost like this like petulant child and you're just like what are you doing like, like just stop already you know just lay down like it's over stop and um, you know, it was such a cool experience to catch it in that moment and to be able to stop. And that, and that's what I alluded to earlier, stated earlier, you know, just saying, no, just no, like I, you know, and, and that, that to me um, when you, when you really talk about the discipline of the mind and the course talks about what happens if you don't discipline your mind. Um, and again, it's, you know, whether you want to call it disciplining the ego, the mind, like, like there's a million and one constructs for it, but ultimately it's the practice of not letting your mind run amok in in this other script and be like because it'll pull anything and everything into it and it's a hyper focused intentionality of this is what i'm committed to and and nothing else can be and and that's that unapologetic unwavering non-dualism of just no um and it and it it was it's such a you know, anyway, such a powerful experience in that regard.
0: Yeah, that's great. And, uh, you know, there's a couple of things uh, about that because uh, some people get frustrated because, you know, it looks like they're forgiving the same thing over and over again.
1: Mm-hmm. You know,
0: they feel stuck in a job, stuck in a relationship. And, uh, it, you know, it looks like, oh, I've got to forgive them again. They did it again. You know? And uh, what they need to remember When that happens is what the Course says. It says a miracle, which is this kind of forgiveness that we're talking about. Uh, It says a miracle is never lost. You know, it can have undreamed of effects in situations of which you are not even aware. So every time you forgive, you know, it's kind of like what I said earlier. uh, The Holy Spirit is always performing some kind of a healing. So even if it looks like you're forgiving the same thing over and over again, what's happening is that more unconscious guilt that was there in your mind just being healed. Uh, that's why it's never lost. That's why there's always some kind of a healing going on every time, no matter what, because the Holy Spirit is with you, and the Holy Spirit is doing the healing, and you're going to get some kind of a, a benefit from it. Now, you may not have observable effects immediately, mm-hmm. but eventually, the way that you think is going to affect the way that you feel. And so then one day, uh, you're sitting around, and you just feel you know, really, really, really good. And you know, if you're smart, and if you put two and two together, then you realize, well, you know, the reason that I feel so good is because I've been practicing forgiveness. And I know that forgiveness is really, of course, going to me. You know, It looks like I'm forgiving somebody else, but I'm the one who's being healed. You know, so now I can forgive people because I know that this is good for me. You know, it's not like I give a damn about them. You know, I, I know that this is good for me, right? And, uh, you know, I mean, why why care so much about them when they're not even there? And yeah. at the same yeah. time, uh, forgiveness leads to love automatically because as you uh, get rid of that unconscious feel, get rid of the ego, then the Holy Spirit is there and the Spirit is love, which is why the Course says, teach only love for that is what you are. So, if you're, uh, you know, wondering how well you're doing with your spiritual path, you know, all you have to do is ask yourself, am I becoming more loving, am I mm-hmm. becoming more peaceful, am I being kind to people? You know, there, there was a time when I wasn't, you know, a people person, you know, if I go back in my twenties, uh, even my thirties, you know, I, I, I hated people. And it's like, <laughs> you know, uh, then I realized, you know, after a while that what A Course in was, was saying was true because I didn't really find the Course till I was about 42. And uh, then I realized all this stuff about, you know, as you see him, you'll see yourself. And uh, then I would, you know, meet people like Ken Wapnick and, and see how he, he was with people. And uh, I always remember him saying, be kind. And it made me want to mm-hmm. be uh, more kind. And... Uh, you know, not just because I wanted to be a goody two shoes or something, but because I realized that whatever I put out there was just going to me. You know, that it wasn't going to them, it was going to me. And I realized that as I became kinder uh, to other people and became more loving, that I was also feeling that for myself. You know, that I was, I was able to be more kind to myself and I was able to love myself in, in such a way, you know, not in an egocentric kind of way, but uh, in a oneness kind of way. And Mm -hmm. then you start to realize, okay, the Holy Spirit thinks in terms of oneness. The ego thinks in terms of separation. So, you know, there's uh, that final step in in forgiveness, which my teachers emphasize, which most, of course, Miracle students don't do. And you really have to go all the way with it. You have to learn to think in terms of oneness, overlook the body, overlook people's mistakes, and forgive it because they haven't really done anything. And if you can stop make it, making it real, then it's going to stop being real for you. You know, then that's how you get in touch with the fact that you haven't really done anything. That, yeah, yeah, it appeared that you made mistakes uh, in the dream. But the truth is you haven't really done anything either. And that's why you're innocent. And that's why they're innocent. Because they haven't really done anything. And when you start mm-hmm. experiencing that for yourself, it's a great experience to get in touch with your own innocence and uh, with the fact that you are totally worthy of God. And in fact, you never left God because separation isn't true. And you were just having a dream. And the, the Course says that the miracle establishes that you dream a dream and that its content is not true. And uh, you got to keep remembering that over and over again until it becomes a part of you because uh, you know, the ego is very clever. And at one point, uh, the Course describes the ego as ingenious. And you see in the book, you know, some of the things that Jesus and Buddha were up against uh, in these various lifetimes and the things that they had to forgive. But finally, uh, toward the end, you know, the last couple of times, they realized that every forgiveness lesson was actually an opportunity for them to be free. And to get to the point where the world could not hurt them and could not affect them, and that's real freedom, as we were saying, that's real power, and uh, that is the destiny that the Holy Spirit is holding out to everybody, you know, to all of us, and uh, we're all going to the same place because we never left. We were just having this dream. It was a dream of separation. Uh, the course says you're at home in God, dreaming of exile, and capable of awakening to reality but you awaken through forgiveness. So, uh, you know, my teachers and I point out in this book that A Course in Miracles is a very big teaching. You know, I think uh, a lot of its teachers tend to personalize it and kind of like dumb it down to a worldly level. But it's uh, a huge metaphysical teaching. And what it's saying is that your natural inheritance is nothing less than heaven, you know, nothing less than the kingdom of God. And you can awaken to that. Even while you appear to be here, you can experience that. And, uh, heaven is not gone anywhere. You know, it's still here. Uh, it's everywhere. And there's like this, uh, thin veil over the truth. That's kind of like covering it over. You know, it reminds me of, uh, you know, there were these other gospels that were, you know, buried in the Nag library that contained some truth. And, uh, that's why one of the chapter titles in my new book is, you know, "Jay Channeled, uh, you know, 1965 to 1977." This time, the truth will not be buried, because mm-hmm. they literally had to bury these gospels. You know, uh, the, the Gospel of Thomas, the Gospel of Mary Magdalene, the Gospel of Philip. Uh, these uh, became illegal. You know, by the Second Council that, that they had for Christianity. You know, The first one was like you know, the Council of Nicaea, 325 AD, but there was another one that you know, most people don't know that much about with the last emperor, and uh, he actually made it punishable by death to even possess these things. Mm-hmm. So he was even more strict than Constantine, he was trying to save the empire. It didn't work, but the only reason that we have any uh, copies of these gospels today is because they were buried in this place in Egypt called uh Nag Hammadi, and then dug up again in 1945. And uh, you know, in those gospels, even though they're not perfect uh, copies, you know, people used to add things on the gospels back in those days, and they thought it was perfectly all right because they knew <laughs> they were channeling God. Uh, <laughs> but maybe they weren't really channeling God. And uh, so they would add things that they thought were true to these Gospels. So we don't, we don't have any pure versions of the earliest Gospels. They were all destroyed uh, by the Church. But the reason that my teachers had me say, this time the truth will not be buried, is because as long as uh, A Course in Miracles is available, you know, to people, then the truth will be there for people to discover for themselves. Mm -hmm. my books will be there for people to discover for themselves because they certainly save you a lot of time when it comes to understanding the Course, and if you can understand something better then you can apply it better. But uh, this time the truth is not going to be lost, Uh, it will always be there. Uh, And uh, since that's the case, you're going to see this acceleration of people awakening you know, my teachers have already said there are more enlightened people in the world today than there have ever been. And I think, the course, miracles has a lot to do with that. And, uh, of course, the Course does not say it's the only way to get home to God. But I think it's fair to say it does claim to be a fast way to get home to God. So, you know, people will think of this as, oh, Jesus, even Jesus and Buddha needed like you know six lifetimes to advance to the point where they were enlightened. But it's like you and I have said privately to each other uh, you know to think that you could undo the ego you know uh, you know 13 and a half billion years of what looks like history you know thousands of lifetimes to think that you could undo all of that in just a few lifetimes or, or and then ultimately just one lifetime uh, that's a miracle and one of the things that made me feel good uh, in this book because you know i assumed that I would be coming back to live that lifetime as Persa 100 years from now in Chicago. And then toward the end of this book, they said to me, well, you know, Gary, actually it's possible now that you could forgive enough in this lifetime because you already have forgiven so much. It would be possible that you could forgive enough in this lifetime so that you don't have to come back you know, and live that final lifetime. And, And the same is true with Cindy. Uh, who, you know, is supposed to be arguing in their next lifetime. And then this is where the whole subject of time. Mm-hmm.
1: It was up. trippy.
0: Yeah. yeah, it is trippy because we don't realize that our lifetimes in the future have already happened, <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> that they're already over. And that's what the course means when it says, look, look you're simply reviewing mentally. Mm-hmm. That which has already gone by. Uh, when it comes to time, uh, well, you'll notice in one other thing that I do in uh you know this book is i give my list of my favorite spiritual movies mm-hmm. and uh, i give my top 10. and i would have included one except i didn't see it on time uh to include it in, in this list or else i would have at least given it an honorable mention or something and uh there's this really great movie called uh arrival mm-hmm. and uh, in this movie yeah. uh you know i don't want to give way too much but the aliens uh, they don't think in a linear way like we do. They think in a holographic way. And one of the premises of the movie, because uh, the protagonist is like uh, this you know, expert on language, and there's a theory that the, the way that you think, even what language you speak, uh, determines your experience and determines the way that you feel and even determines how you think. And that the reason that the aliens, uh, who have been around a lot longer than us, Uh, that they can think in this holographic fashion and by doing that they can actually see the future because the past present and future all are one and so they're actually thinking in such a way where they can see the future and as this uh you know lady in the uh movie who is played by amy adams as she starts to think like them by learning their language because she's actually trying to translate their language and she's trying to learn their language And as she does that, she starts to think more like them, And so she starts to experience her future.
1: Mm -hmm. It was so cool. It was one (laughs) of my favorite movies.
0: Yeah, because the future is already there. And uh, it's already happened. And there's nothing linear about it except in our perception of it. You know, so uh, it would be, you know, someday just as common for us to experience our our future as our past or the present. And, uh, you know, I think people they don't want to live in the past, but I think they think it's pretty cool to know the future. So,
1: Well, and it's funny because as you're talking about that, and I know you and I talked a little bit before that, that that part of my challenge with all of this has been to reconcile the information that I'm getting and the clarity that I have around this concept of superpowers. And, and, and it's even brought up in the course, you know, and, and even in your book, the, you know, a lot of times the dialogue goes to these kind of what we would perceive of as being these superhuman traits. But I think that a big part of what I see happening is things like time manipulation and other things because I've had the experience in this lifetime of the time-space continuum kind of collapsing and and what was then is now and what was now is then and, and this this kind of weird um, sometimes I refer to it as like you know I don't know if you saw Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure you know not not cinematic greatness but the um, you know, but the concept of like, oh, we're going to leave our keys here for our future selves to come back to from our past selves. You know, it's like it's I that's how I experience existence like, oh, well, I can just simply talk to my future self and get, you know, and, and I th- see the illusion shifting um, as I'm doing that. And so I wonder if that's not part of uh, we're normalizing the the concept that that's possible through first calling out these kind of superhuman traits but only to come to realize that it's not so much calling out the traits or that we're developing superpowers it's that it's that that's allowing our minds to even grasp the idea that perhaps things aren't what we thought
0: yes yeah and i think it's great you know because you know i can look back you know and i'm old enough to remember, you know, a lot of past decades now, and the world has really changed. And the way that people think in the world has really changed in the last 40 years, you know, and uh, so now you get all these ideas that people are having, like, well, you know, uh, what if the universe is a simulation and what if it's, right. what if it's not true? Uh, what if our bodies are like, uh, you know, a Blade Runner or something? You know, like we we think that this is real, but the course teaches that uh, we're not actually real, and we're not we're not actually alive, and we're not actually uh, bodies. We're just having you know this dream of all this, and so the body is very mechanical, and the mind is very mechanical, and very much like a machine. And uh, you know, it, it's uh, you know it's kind of strange the way that people are, are thinking ideas that most people would not think 40 years ago. And uh, of course, uh, you know, like the whole Blade Runner thing is, is based on a book that was out in the late 60s. And I, I think it was, uh, you know, do robots dream of electric sheep or something. <laughs> it was like all these uh, amazing ideas that would have seemed so far out back then. But it's kind of like, uh, you know, things that seemed like science fiction 50 years ago, you know, like, uh, like the uh, oh, communicator in Star Trek which looks very much like a cell phone or, or talking to people on screen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like or somewhere. the Jetsons,
1: right? Yeah.
0: <laughs> all these things that uh, seem like science fiction, like Buckminster Fuller's idea that, uh, you know, people will be uh, sent to places by radio wave,
1: mm-hmm.
0: which, which would be, uh, you know, you getting there pretty fast. That would get you to the moon in three seconds. And uh, it's like, uh, that's very much like the transporter that they had in Star Trek. And uh, a lot of these uh, things happen. It seems like the ideas come first, and then the experience follows. Uh, yeah,
1: I call it I call it normalizing because it's like we have to even entertain it first. I remember, you know, all, my whole journey started, or the accelerated part portion of it, when Justin and I had a conversation about how anticlimactic it is when you get something that you said about manifesting you know that thoughts become things manifestation that kind of concept and it was so anticlimactic and i was like that's and and, and at first I, I was like well am i incapable of being happy and in gratitude when something appears and then i was like no that doesn't feel right and so i remember i went back to the bathroom and was brushing my teeth and in the course of the time it took me to brush my teeth i got all this information about what they whoever you know was speaking to me the holy spirit however it came through was kind of these five steps of transformation and part of it is first the mind has to even conceive of it, you know, the, and then, and then the emotions and even though none of it, again, none of it's real, that, that I needed that information in that moment to kind of even wrap my mind around it. But it made total sense in this, in the fact that like, you've already lived it a number of different ways before it ever appears. So the idea of superpowers or, um, these abilities or these science fiction things it's like we don't realize that we're living it in some capacity already because we've already lived it it's just like we have to kind of break down all of the disbelief um between here and there um and and so there is something i think to the normalization of it
0: yeah yeah i think so and uh i think do we want to remember that uh, even though all this stuff is uh, fascinating, it's, it's not going to make you happy. <laughs>
1: right, <laughs> you know? right, and it's, not, and it's not real, and it's not – I mean, any of those things, and that's been a big challenge for me, and I know a lot of people who you know, are on these paths and do this kind of work. It's like how do you keep doing your work when, when ultimately the truth is is that it's already done, um, and, and this goes back to what we were talking about earlier where it's like if you see other people as not being real – intrinsically you're going to feel not really yourself and it it does kind of lead people or it can lead people in this kind of state of despair like well then what's the point you know well then why am I doing this but and I think that goes back to your point and and I know we need to wrap up uh, of that's why it's so crucial to go all the way with this and to go to then the Holy Spirit aspect or you know however people want to refer to that but there is this next step that I think is missing in so much of the material that it's like, it just leaves you hanging unless you, then there's a huge void. And you're like, well, what the hell are we supposed to do with this then? And it wasn't, I remember when I first read um, Disappearance of the Universe, that was the, like, it was like this moment of, oh, I get it now. Like if for the first time i I heard something that made sense to me about what came after that. Because I just, I had kept asking, well, what now? Well, what now? Like, great, great. I did all this work and then nothing changed. Like, well, then what the hell am I supposed to do with this? Like, I'm just stuck here. Like, this is just this perpetual hamster wheel, you know? And, and, and like the idea of, oh, well, we're just here to experience life. And I'm like, yeah, okay, well, that's old now. Now what do I do? Like, I can keep having these experiences and, and, and they can be fun and I can meet engaging people. But well, ultimately, it's the same thing over and over and over and over again until that piece of you have to fill that void now with something different.
0: Absolutely. Uh, and that brings me back to the idea because, you know, I've, I've met billionaires who are yeah. still coming from a place of scarcity.
1: And they're miserable. And it's like, well, what was the point in all this? They thought that accumulating, like, and I know I just interrupt you, but it's like these check the boxes thing. It's like you got to check... It's almost like people have to check all the boxes, like, okay, good job, good relationship, lots of money, da da da, Before they can really see, it was none of that ever. All along, you've been searching for something different.
0: That's right. But it, that's-
1: it's almost like until we check the boxes, we keep holding out hope that if I just do this thing or accomplish this thing or get this thing, then I'll be happy.
0: You know, the ego is very good at playing us with a carrot and a stick.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh,
0: that's why we have to remember, like the Course says, that a sense of separation from God is the only lack you really need to correct. If you could correct that one real lack, Mm -hmm. then the rest would take care of themselves because you start to feel like you're being taken care of, that you're being provided for. Mm. And uh, you wouldn't be coming from a place of scarcity. You'd You'd be coming from a place of oneness. And oneness, by definition, is wholeness. It is full and whole and complete and satisfying. So we want to replace the faults experience of separation with the true experience of oneness. And uh, by the way, I forgot to tell people (laughs) that, uh, you know, the new book, The Lifetimes When Jesus and Buddha Knew Each Other, uh, it's going to be out on November 14th. So uh, any day from November 14th on, uh, they can order it anywhere. And uh, I'll be out talking about it. And People can always see where I'm speaking at my website, uh, GaryRenard.com. And uh, I think I'm going to have a new website by the time uh, that the new book comes out. So that'd be nice to have. Exciting.
1: Yeah. Well, we'll make sure to put links and everything else in the article. Um, Gary, I can't thank you enough for coming back on the show. I I think your work is so powerful. Um, But most importantly, I, I really, really honor your courage and your bravery. And, and I know it's been a journey, uh, but, but you truly are, someone for the rest of us to model in terms of, of being unwavering in, in, in that truth and walking that path and, and demonstrating that for others and modeling that. Um, and so you've been a real inspiration I know to so many people and, and I, I, appreciate and honor the work you do.
0: Uh, thank you, Tony. I, I really appreciate that. And I admire the work uh, that you and just do also. Mm, so, uh, please keep you. it up. And, uh, you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, uh, we're we're all going to the same place and we all help each other. <laughs> Beautiful. And, uh, you know, the Holy Spirit has a plan that's working. We don't always see it, which can be frustrating. But it is, it is working, even if uh, we can't always see it. And, uh, you know, you'll know that you're really going places with spirituality as your experience starts to change. And uh, you just find yourself being more peaceful and, and happy. And maybe you just smile a little bit more than you used to. Mm,
1: that's so lovely. Well, thank you so much. And of course, big love and hugs to, to Cindy. And, um, you know, we just re- we just really appreciate you both.
0: Okay. Thanks a lot. We'll talk soon.
1: Thanks, Gary. Take care.
0: You too. Bye.
1: Are you ready to discover your superpowers? Go now to superpowerexperts.com and discover your superpowers today.